And uh, we're going to talk about the concept of stewardship today, and I'll try to explain what that means. But uh, the, the title of the, the message is Invest Your Life, Don't Waste Your Life. And that, that's really uh, the, the challenge uh, this morning, that we would not waste our lives, but that we would invest our lives in the kingdom of God. I remember having a conversation with my mom a few years ago, and uh, my mom's a retired uh, teacher. And I don't remember all the, the details of what precipitated the conversation, but it was something along the lines of some different people that we know, and uh, I think some of her former students, she had heard about them you know, dying at a young age, some of them overdosing and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and she said, and she didn't say this in a judgmental way, uh, she said this with a broken heart, that I'm sick of seeing people waste their lives. And I would say the same thing this morning. I don't want to waste my life, and I don't want to see you waste your life. And it's obvious all of us know some people that are wasting their lives, right? It's just obvious. But do we also realize that you can live your life, and you can appear to be a roaring success, and according to Jesus, you can end up wasting your life because he said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So it's possible, uh, I mean, just to look like, you know, have a great career, great family, make a lot of money, all these kind of things, and, and none of that last and end up in hell. So there's different ways that we can waste our lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at a parable of Jesus that is about that theme. It's about the theme of stewardship, and really the big idea is uh, of this particular parable is that God's the owner. He entrusts us with certain things, and we're, going to, we're accountable to him for what we do with what he gives us. Uh, in, in, in Matthew chapter 25, there's three sections. There's two parables, and then it ends with Jesus teaching about a judgment that's going to take place. But really, the overall theme of the chapter is, is that Jesus is going to return, and we're going to have to give an answer to him someday. And so, really, what, what I'm going to challenge us this morning is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to challenge you to invest your life, not waste your life. To, to live as a steward of what God blesses you with. If you're not a Christian, and if you're not, I'm glad you're here. And for, you know, whether somebody drug you here, whether you're you know, wanting to check out the claims of Christ, we're glad you're here. And, and I hope as we look at this passage that you'll consider some of the big questions of life because really it, it, it touches on these kind of questions. Like, does my life belong to me or does it belong to God? Do I earn what I'm blessed with, or has it been given to me? Do I get to choose what I do with my life, or should I do what God wants me to do with my life? Do I get to decide what's right and wrong for me, or am I accountable to my maker when it's all said and done? And I think those are some of the big questions of life that we all have to answer. And, and so I, I just ask you to listen to what Jesus would say in this that would touch on those different questions. So Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. So here's a man, we're going to see that he's wealthy, uh, he has servants, 
And he entrusts them with some responsibility. He's, he's good to them in a sense. He's, he's giving to them. And, and this is what he gave. He says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. And, and so what's uh, happening here is he, he's entrusting them with responsibility based on ability. That's how God works in our lives. He gives each of us different abilities, and with those abilities, there's some responsibility. Now, a a talent was a monetary unit in that day and time. Now, I think it applies really to anything that God blesses us with, and we'll apply it in that way. But specifically, he's talking about money here. And, and Bible scholars debate exactly what a talent was worth, and, and there's some different nuances to that. But I'm just, for simplicity's sake, I'm going to go with the way R.C. Sproul describes it. He says it was essentially like a, a, a year's wage. Like if you read in the Bible, you read about a denarius, that was a day's wage. A talent would have been a year's wage. Now, I did a little research, and in the state of Tennessee, the average salary is just under $40,000. Okay, so if you want to kind of apply it to today, five talents would have been he entrusted him with like $200,000, or two would have been $80,000, or one would have been $40,000. So again, he was wealthy, he was generous, he trusted uh, these uh, people with that, and so here's what happened. It says he received the five talents, went and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise, he had received two, gained two more also. But he had received one, went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So, five-talent guy gets five-talent return. Two-talent guy gets two-talent return. One-talent guy gets no return. Then verse 19 is very important. It says, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So they all had to answer for their stewardship. There was a day of accountability coming. There's a day of accountability coming for each one of us. We may think it's a long time away. Maybe it is, but maybe it's today. We just don't know. You know, there's always uh, a lag time in between sowing and reaping, but we still always reap what we sow. Don't be deceived by the lag time. Don't think uh, because that, uh, you know, God's not in your face physically today that what you're doing today still doesn't matter for eternity and that you're still not going to have to answer for it uh, at his throne someday. So verse 20, says, he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So he was commended. He was given more responsibility. It was a joyful thing. Verse 22 Two-talent guy, he came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And the significance there, did you notice this? He said the exact same thing to the two-talent guy and the five-talent guy. So it wasn't the amount... It was the proportion. 
Do you get that? That's key to stewardship. It was what they did with what they were given, not how much they had. They weren't expected to return more than what they had been given. But then here's the contrast, verse 24. He who received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where uh, you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. In other words, he's saying, You're just making excuses. This was a spiritual issue. It was a theological issue. It was, it was about his attitude uh, toward his master. He said, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and in my coming, I would have received my own back with interest. In other words, if you'd have just done that, there'd have been some return on it. Anything but just bury it in the ground and do nothing. And then here's what he says. He says, therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Let me just stop, ask you a question, just give you something to think about there. Is it possible that sometimes in our lives we have a lack that we blame God for, but it's really not about uh, God not blessing us, it's about what we've done with what he's already blessed us with? Verse 30, he says, And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there's some debate about this amongst Bible scholars, but I think in the context of that chapter and the overall uh, context of Jesus' teaching, it's saying that this man, his, his lack of stewardship outwardly evidenced that his heart wasn't right, that he wasn't really a believer, and it's talking about him going to hell. So the big idea, again, is that God is the owner, we're stewards, and we're accountable to him. Based on that, though, just to, to kind of get into a little more detail, I want to try to impart to us today three convictions from Jesus' teaching in, in these verses that if we will believe these, adopt these, put these into practice in our lives, they will keep us from wasting our lives and help us to invest our lives in ways that will honor God, that will outlive us, that where we can hear when it's all said and done, well done, my good and faithful servant. So here's the first conviction. My life is not my own, but I am a servant of my Lord Jesus. My life is not my own, but I am a servant of my Lord Jesus. Again, look at what he says in verse 14. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Again, this is a picture of Jesus ascending, and someday he's coming back. But if we belong to him, if we're in Christ between now and then, we are his servants who belong to him, who are called to live for him. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died, or if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died uh, for them and rose again. So listen, if you're a Christian, 
Jesus is your Lord. You belong to Him. You're called to live for Him. And you may be saying, well, why would I want to give my life away to somebody else? Well, to me, there's probably at least three reasons here to think of. Number one, I've messed up my life, and I clearly don't know how to make it work on my own. So the idea, part of the idea of salvation is that we repent, that we humble ourselves. We say, God, I've blown it. God, I can't do it on my own. God, I'm a sinner. God, I need you. I need your direction. So, Lord, take me and guide me. I belong to you. That's part of what it means to become a Christian is admitting that we can't do it on our own. I mean, the Bible tells us that God's commands are not burdensome. It's the idea of we're acknowledging that he knows what's best for us. He knows better than us. And so we need to follow his word and do what his word says. But even beyond that, the Bible says, Jesus said this, Mark 10, 45. It says, the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Why would I serve Jesus? Because he first served me. I mean, think about it. Philippians 2 teaches us that Jesus is the eternal God who divested himself of the outward manifestation of his glory. He came as a man, but it tells us that he came as a bondservant, as a slave, that he humbled himself to that. And then he humbled himself all the way to the cross. In other words, he he came as a servant, as a slave. He died for me. He gave his all uh, for me. Now he asked me to give my all to him in return. So really, we serve God, we belong to Him because of the gospel, because of what He has done for us, because we need Him, because He guides us, because He knows what's best for us. Do we believe that? Because, listen, if we believe that Jesus, God, died for us, rose from the dead, I mean, the logical response of that is to commit our lives to Him. If we don't believe it, clearly, you should go do your own thing, live your own life. The problem comes when we try to say, I believe in Jesus, but it's still my life, and I still want to do my own thing. That's what can't fly. So that's what we've got to settle. Okay? That's one of the questions that we have to settle. John Sununu was the White House Chief of Staff under the first President Bush, and one time a reporter asked him, he said, is your job hard? He said, no. <laughs> and the reporter's like... He thought he misheard him. He was like, this has to be a hard job. So I asked him the question again. He said, no, my job is not hard. And the way he explained himself to reporters, he said, it's not hard because I only have one constituent. I serve at the pleasure of the President of the United States. I have an audience of one. There's only one person I have to please. And that's how we're called to live as Christians, to please our Lord Jesus Christ, not try to please everybody else. A constituency, an audience of one, because we belong to Him because of who He is and what He's done for us. So are we living like we belong to Him? Number two, my things, in other words, what I have, Gifts, talents, money, ability, whatever, opportunities. My things do not belong to me, but I am a steward of what I've been given by my Lord Jesus Christ. My things do not belong to me, but I'm a steward of what I've been given by my Lord Jesus Christ. A steward is literally the manager of a household. Spiros Zodiates defines it as a person entrusted to act in another's name, or to whose care 
anything is committed to by a, a, another. So basically the idea is this biblically. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Meaning that everything ultimately comes from our Creator. Everything ultimately belongs to Him. But James 1.17 uh, says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Uh, the Bible talks about that God makes the sun to shine, the rain to come on the just and the unjust. There's common grace. You know, there's saving grace, what He's done for us in Christ. So it's the idea Idea. Ultimately, God is the owner, but by his grace, he has chosen to bless us with life and with many things, with salvation in Christ, that what we have comes from him. And so we're not the owner, he's the owner, we're the manager of his stuff, so we then have to answer to him for what we do with what he gives us. So, again, here's what we got to decide. Did I earn this? Did I accomplish this? Did I achieve this? Or did God bless me with this? And does it ultimately belong to Him for His glory? Which approach are we going to take to life? One leads to an entitlement mindset. The other leads to a gratitude mindset. You know, if, if you notice the, the wording of, of the text here, Verse 14 says that this man delivered. Verse 15 says he gave. Verse 16 says they received. That's the idea of stewardship. Belongs to God. He, he graciously gives it to us. The Bible says, what do we have that we haven't received? I mean, life, breath, whatever abilities we have, whatever health we have, salvation for sure, for in Christ, but, but really everything that we have comes from God, belongs to Him, blessed us with it, entrusted it to, to us. Now, you know, that, that doesn't mean we just sit back and do nothing then because it comes, it's the exact opposite. God's saying, because I've been so good to you, now use it for me. That's the idea. Now, I just want to give you kind of six practical statements about stewardship from this as we try to apply this. Number one, can't have the blessing without the responsibility. Can't have the blessing without the responsibility. That's the idea. If you're blessed with five talents, you're responsible for a five-talent return. Two and two, one and one, and so on and so forth. So in other words, if you want more blessing... Got to accept more responsibility. That's how it works. So, you know, if, if you're really, really blessed, it just means you got more to answer for. I mean, as I've taught my kids about this, we're growing up, I had a conversation with Lily, who's our daughter, who's in college the, the other day, just talking about, you know, some decisions she's trying to make, options and all this, and, and this kind of thing. And I said something to her along the lines of, you know, you're blessed with being multi-talented. I've never had that problem. And, uh, you know, if you're multi-talented, it complicates things because you want to do uh, different things. And, you know, her response to me, and it made me feel good as a dad because this is something I try to pour in our kids. She quoted Scripture and said, to whom much is given, much is required. Uh, some of you may have heard me say before, some of you heard Jackson Holt preach. He may be the best teenage preacher that I've ever heard. If that's true, that just means he's got a lot to answer for. Right? I mean, 20, 30, 40 years from now, he ought to be really, really good and, and used greatly by God. A lot more 
Blessing equals more responsibility. Two and three really go together. Two is stewardship is based on proportion instead of portion. And three is Jesus is looking for a 100% return. In other words, what are we doing with what he's given us? And so it's not how much we have, it's what we do with what we have. If you're a one-talent person getting a one-talent return, you're doing better than a five-talent person who's getting a three-talent return. You understand? That's the idea. What are we doing with what he's given us? It's, it's not what we have or don't have. It's how we're using it. And, and that leads into number four. We're only responsible for ourselves and not how we compare to other people. Comparison's toxic. But comparison is one of those things where if we're honest, like we'll warn our kids about it, you know, teenagers and that kind of thing. But then we do the same thing, right? But the, but the thing about comparison, comparison leads to pride. It, it, it either leads to pride in the sense of we're arrogant, and there may be some people we look down on and think we're doing better than them, or it leads to insecurity, which is a form of pride, where there's other people we look at and we compare ourselves to negatively, and, and, you know, and then we're like, what's wrong with me and all these kind of things? God, why didn't you give me more? And all this kind of thing. Comparison's toxic. But here's the idea of stewardship. This is how I tried to teach it to my kids when they were little. I said, you know, if two of you are in school and one of you, your capability, the best you could do in a class or on a test or whatever is 80, is an 80. But one of you, you can make 100. You have that kind of ability. And so you take the test and the person with an 80 capability makes an 80, but the person with 100 capability doesn't really try all that much, doesn't put any effort into it, and makes an 88. You know, in comparing between each other and how the world would look at it, the person who made an 88 did better. But in God's eyes, the person who made an 80 did better because they actually made 100. Again, it's not what we do in comparison to other people, it's what we do with what God's given us and the proportion of return. What's the return on investment that he's getting from what he has put in our lives? Number five, Jesus gives us more when we're faithful with what he has already given us. Or you could say the inverse of that, according to the parable, is when we're unfaithful of what he's given us, he gives us less or he takes away from us and gives it to somebody else. And then six, and this kind of fits with what we talked about last week, I think, God is looking for faithfulness, but faithfulness is demonstrated by fruitfulness. So what kind of fruit are we bearing in our lives? What kind of return on investment is God getting? Are we investing our lives or are we wasting our lives? Well, let's get real practical with it. Let's just kind of look at some areas that God's given us to steward. And, and really, anything that we have or any opportunity we have, it could be applied this way. But let's just think about a few. Let's think about time. I think the stewardship of time is foundational to the stewardship of every other aspect of our lives. Think about it. If we're wasting our time, we are wasting life because time is life. And time is the way that we're all created equal. Right? There's no five-talent, two-talent, one-talent people when it, all, when it comes to time. We've all got the same amount of it. 
Annie Dillard has said how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And the reality is, if we want to steward well the other things that God has entrusted to us, at the foundation of that is how are we spending time? Are we doing what we talked about last week, getting up, spending time with Him? Are we making that the foundation of our lives to to abide in Him? And then what kind of choices do we make with our time beyond that? Because think about it. If we're going to do a good job at our job, Got to steward time well. If, if we're going to be a good husband or wife, we're going to have to make uh, time with our spouse a priority. If we're going to be a good parent, have to make time for our kids uh, a priority. And, and, and if we're going to serve the Lord, have to make that a priority and so on and so forth. And, and so really, if we're going to put this together, it starts with how are we using our time? Choices and priorities and discipline and habits. How about our opportunities? We're going to have to answer for opportunities we've had to witness, to do good, to serve, how we treat our spouse, how we lead our kids, how we do at work, how we do at school. Listen, for some of you that are in school right now, maybe your stewardship is getting prepared for what God has prepared for you and not wasting these years right now so you're behind later on. How about our health? How about taking care of our bodies? The Bible says our bodies are the temple uh, of the Holy Spirit. And listen, our days are numbered. We can't necessarily control how long we're going to live, but we can have some impact on how we live those days. And uh, we can uh, you know, not take care of ourselves in a way that's going to hinder what uh, God wants to do in us and through us and, and, and with us. And listen, you can, you, know, you can be a health freak and you know, kill over a heart attack. I understand that, but are we doing what we can do? If God's blessed us with health, if he's blessed us with these bodies, What are we doing with what he's given us? How about our talents? How about our spiritual gifts? The Bible teaches us that every believer has at least one spiritual gift that we're to use in his service. That's part of how we honor God. It's part of how we bless others and build up the body of Christ. And Something's lacking in this church if you're not doing what God's gifted you to do. How about our finances? Are we both giving generously, but are we being wise with our money in general? You know, sometimes Christians will be like, well, I tithe, the rest of it belongs to me, I can do whatever I want with it. That's not the idea of stewardship. Are we making wise decisions with what God has entrusted us with? And so, if we make it a priority to be a good steward, I think some of what's going to happen is this. You know, when I was young, like when I was in school and that kind of thing, I would have been a bad example for a lot of you in some ways. Now, I would have probably been a good example in that I worked hard, but I worked dumb. I was a procrastinator. I was undisciplined. I'd do things in the middle of the night, you know, the night before stuff was due, all those kind of things. And so I, I've worked hard over the years of trying to be more disciplined, trying to be a better steward. I've made a lot of progress for which I'm thankful, but I would also say it is a never-ending source of frustration because I always f- fall short of what I'm trying to do, but yet I know I'm still making progress at, at, at the same time. And as I make progress, God uses me more. My life is better. Listen, I I believe in some sense the gap between the life that God wants us to live and really the life that we want to live and the life that we're actually living is found in our lack of stewardship. The, The gap between the life that God wants us to live and the life we're actually living 
is found in our stewardship or lack thereof. In our time, our resources, our relationships, those kinds of things. So, we belong to Jesus. What he's given us belongs to him. He's entrusted it to us. How are we using it? And then the third, the last conviction is that my evaluation is not in my hands, but I am accountable to my Lord Jesus. That's verses 19 through 30. Look at verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Understand, Jesus is going to come and settle accounts with us. My evaluation is not in my hands, but I am accountable to my Lord Jesus. Five-talent guy, five-talent return. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Two-talent guy, two-talent return. Well done, my good and faithful servant. One-talent guy, buried it, made excuses, had the wrong attitude. He was called a wicked and a lazy servant. It was taken away, given to someone else, and he was ultimately sent to hell. Now, as we try to apply this parable to our lives, what does this say to us? And and I believe it says four things that we need to consider. First, everyone will be judged. Everyone will be judged. You say, Jimmy, how, how do you know that? I know that because Jesus, the one who rose from the dead, says that to us. Listen, you know, people to want to have sometimes like buffet line Jesus where they pick and choose what they like and, and, they, and they don't like. And, you know, Jesus is sweet, kind, loving, Santa Claus kind of figure. Jesus taught more about hell than he did heaven. That's the reality. Everyone will be judged. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts uh, with them. Verse 30, he says, Cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and, and, and gnashing of teeth. And, and that really kind of had to be almost like the punchline to the story, the conclusion uh, of, of the story, because it couldn't have literally been talking about that servant. That, that's what Jesus is saying is going to happen uh, to anybody. Now think about what the Bible says about this. Everyone be judged. Two different judgments. One, believers are evaluated for reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Believers are evaluated for reward at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, According to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, the only saving foundation, the only rock to build our lives and our eternity on, the only way to God is Jesus Christ. Are you trusting him? Have you surrendered to him? Is he the Lord of your life? But once we lay that foundation, then the question is, how are we going to build on it? And so he says, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Now, notice they're, they're building materials, but they're very different types. The first half are, are, are permanent and valuable. The second half are temporary. They could be burned up. They could go away. He says, each one's work will become clear. 
For the day, the day of judgment will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward like these first two servants. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. It's a judgment for believers of reward. So is your life going to be rewarded when you stand before Jesus or are you going to have to be ashamed? Again, don't waste your life, invest your life, because we're going to answer to the Lord Jesus. Listen, especially if you're a teenager, college student, and start now to build a life that lasts. Where Jesus will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You're laying up treasures in heaven. Don't do what some of us have done and waste years of our lives. I mean, you could find somebody older and talk to them, and they would beg you not to do that. Be wise now. Live for what's important. Live for what's going to last now. But then there's another judgment the Bible pictures. Revelation chapter 20, starting verse 11. Unbelievers are judged for condemnation at the great white throne judgment. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life, anyone who has not laid the foundation of Jesus Christ, was cast into the lake of fire. Listen, if you reject Christ, that's what's going to happen. If you receive Christ, though, not for condemnation, you're still, your life is going to be evaluated by him. We're going to answer to him for hopefully what is reward and not shame. Second, we need to see though here, and in some ways this is, I mean, this is just key to understanding this. As we look at this third servant, we see that our stewardship is a revealer of our spiritual condition. Our stewardship is a revealer of our spiritual condition. Not our words, but the way that we're living. Jesus said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? I mean, this guy had some words, he had some excuses, but they didn't fly. So, if we say Jesus is our Lord, are we living like He's our Lord? Are we giving Him our first and our best? Are we giving Him our leftovers? Okay, think about it this way. Okay, think about a young couple that's like they're dating seriously, maybe moving toward marriage at some point, and for whatever reason, they have this like fancy formal event they need to go to together. Uh, they're not in this service, but I use Jackson and Mara 
in, in the first service, just to throw a couple of names. So let's say Jackson and Mara. Uh, you know, they're going to go to this fancy formal event. So, you know, ladies get excited about fancy for, formal events, right? And so the moms, they're all a flutter about it. And, you know, they get a dress, they get a suit, all these kind of things. And, you know, so the day of the event arrives, and Jackson texts her that morning. And he's like, and I'm so excited to see you tonight. I know you're going to look beautiful. I love you. You're so special. You're so wonderful. I can't wait for this. But then at some point during the day, he decides, you know, if I'm going to look good for tomorrow tonight, I need to go to the gym, need to make sure I'm good and buff today. So him and some of his buddies go to the gym. But they stay at the gym a little bit too long, so he's late to pick her up. And he's not cleaned up his car. You know, it's got mud on the outside, like junk on the inside. And even worse, because he was running late, he didn't have time to take a shower after he worked out at the gym. And uh, he didn't have time to put his suit on, so he shows up like wearing like a tank top and gym shorts and flip-flops. And, and, you know, he's texting her. He's like, I'm on my way. Can't wait to see you. And, you know, going to take you to Taco Bell. I got some flowers for you. You know, it's going to be a great evening. And, And so, you know, he shows up. He's got his flowers. Except instead of buying flowers, I don't know if you all ever noticed this, but sometimes flowers blow over from the cemetery over here. So he grabbed a bouquet of those, and, and, and he's got those, and he shows up at the door, and, you know, he knocks on the door. She opens the door, and, you know, she's all decked out in her fancy dress, and she's looking wonderful, and she sees Jackson, and Jackson's like, hey, I, I, I love you. Uh, you're so special. It's wonderful to see you. What's she going to do? Is she going to feel loved, special? Wonderful. She's probably going to slam the door in his face and run to her room crying, upset. But he said he loved her. He said he was, she was special. She said he was wonder, he said she was wonderful. But his actions contradicted it. Our stewardship, the way we live our lives, reveals what we really think about Jesus. Not what we say. Not what we sing when we're in church. Are we giving him our first and our best? Are we giving him our leftovers? In our time, our talents, our treasures, with opportunities, in our relationships, at our job, in in the various areas of life. Number three. Jesus' assessment of us is what matters. Not our earthly success. Not our self-evaluation, not the opinion of others. Understand that? We can classify something as success. We can classify something as a failure. Somebody else can classify something as success or a failure. But what matters is what Jesus has to say about it when it's all said and done. And then last, it should be our focus to live every day, to be ready for the final day. If all of this is true, if Jesus is coming back, if someday he's going to evaluate our lives, then the wise way to live will be to live every day to be ready for the final day. In other words, to daily 
submit to Him as Lord, to thank Him, to acknowledge Him as the source of our blessings, and then to seek to order our lives and to make decisions where we're using those blessings for for His honor and glory, for the good of people, for the building of His kingdom, day in and day out, and then whenever He comes or whenever we stand before Him, we'll be ready. I love the way Martin Luther put it a long time ago. He said, there's two days on my calendar, this day and that day. This day and that day. Listen, we may need to plan for tomorrow, but all we can live is today. And if we're living today under the Lordship of Christ, stewarding what He's given us well, and we do that today, and we do that tomorrow, and we do that the next day, and then we don't need to worry about the final day. You say, you know, you really want to live this way, you know, you really think it belongs to God, and don't you just want to do your own thing, and is he really in control, and I, and I get that, but let me, just, let me just end with this, I just want you to think about this. So, I don't know if you ever heard of something called Pascal's Wager, but basically what he said was, you know, a, a reason to believe in Christ, a reason to believe in God is, like, if, if the Bible's true, if the gospel's true, and you're wrong, if you reject it, you've lost everything because you're eternally condemned. If you believe in Jesus and all of it's true, you've gained everything. But if it's not true, what have you really lost? And I don't think that's a reason to believe in Christ in and of itself because, you know, there's some nuances to it. But even, I, you know, I want to follow the truth. I don't want to believe a lie. But, but this is the point I want to get at. Okay, let's say I'm basing my life on the Bible and Jesus, and I'm wrong. Okay, what have I really lost? I want you to think about this. You know, maybe I could have made some more money doing something else, but I'm not taking any of that with me anyway. And my family's well taken care of, but I've got a wonderful wife, great kids, I have a church family that has walked with us through everything we've been through. I have all kinds of people that I can call on at any time who would be there for me and do anything uh, they could for me. I enjoy what I do. And, you know, think about it. Even if the spiritual part of it's not true. I think about the people we've helped financially over the years. Think about feeding starving people in Uganda and, and in Honduras and, and just, you know, houses we've built in, in, in Honduras and, you know, the boys and girls clubs and the hope they give and medicine that's been provided and comforting grieving people and helping people who are struggling in their marriages and, and on and on and on. What have I lost? I think it's been a good life. But if you reject Jesus... And you're wrong, you've lost everything. You've lost everything. So is Jesus your Lord? Is this demonstrated by more than your words? Is it demonstrated by your stewardship? And if you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus, what area of stewardship do you need to work on right now? All of us have something 
probably have a lot of things. But, but like, what's one thing that maybe God's pricked your heart about today, that, that leaving here, you need to make some decisions, maybe reorder some things, maybe it's how you're using your time, maybe some things you need to work on financially, maybe you need to be serving in some way, maybe it's a relationship you need to invest in more, whatever it is, what's one thing that you can do that's going to make a difference in your life, to make your life more of what God wants it to be? He's the owner, we're the steward, we got to answer. Let's live like it. Let's bow our heads and, and close our eyes if we could.